Our first lesson from Deuteronomy is almost a sermon in itself. The words are believed to be the last words Moses delivered. He spoke them on the plains of Moab before the Israelites crossed the Jordan River and entered the Promised Land. The words summarize the book of Deuteronomy and reiterate obedience to covenant and the conditions for living in the Promised Land. Moses calls on heaven and earth as witnesses to his words, both for his, his hearers then and forward into future generations. Obedience to the law is a matter of life and death, and the law is essentially refusing to worship other gods and loving God with one's entire being. The law should ultimately be understood as a gift and a blessing, not as a burden or a curse. To follow it leads to life, and to turn from it leads to death. If one were to interpret the law in such a way that it leads to death, then that interpretation is wrong. As I was reflecting on the lessons for this Sunday, I remembered a required class I had at UC Berkeley in the late 1960s. It was an introduction to genetics and was held in a huge lecture hall. I struggled all quarter, looking at chromosomes undergoing genetic mutation and trying to learn Mendel's principles. I don't recall much of the coursework now, but I do remember the last class. It happened to be the very last class that the distinguished older professor taught. He said he wanted to tell us something. He then explained that he knew most of us were humanities students trying to fulfill our science requirement and that we were not likely to pursue the field. He told us he had survived the Nazi death camps and that he had seen death firsthand. He said life itself was a great banquet and that we should taste everything on the table, every aspect of life, including science and genetics. It was an invitation to choose life in all its fullness and one of the best lessons I got at university. The poet William Stafford also spoke of choosing life in his poem, With Neighbors, One Afternoon. Someone said, stirring their tea, I would come home any time just for this, to look out the clear backyard air and then into the cup. You could see the tiniest pattern of bark on the trees and every slight angle of color change in the sunshine, millions of miles of gold light lavished on people like us. You could put out your hand and feel the rush of years rounding your life into these days of ours. From somewhere a leaf came gliding slowly down and rested on the lawn. Remember that scene? Inside it you folded the last of your jealousy and hate and all those deeds so hard to forget. Swish you took the past into your mouth and swallowed it, warm, thin, bitter, and good. In our second lesson from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes about spirituality. The Christians at Corinth have been measuring themselves as superior or inferior to one another by their affiliation with various leaders. And Paul points out that such loyalties are actually leading them astray. 
It's not who baptized or who trained or who taught one that mattered. And to dwell on that, to try to impress others, was missing the point. Our spirituality is evident not by telling others our spiritual pedigree, but by showing God's love to each other. When Bill Swing was about to retire as the Bishop of California, he arranged a special service for the clergy at Grace Cathedral. We waited inside the closed doors as he was due to arrive. He came in cope and mitre and knocked with his silver shepherd's staff on the massive Gifferty doors. When asked who was there, he replied, William, Bishop of the Anglican Communion, following in the line of Augustine of Canterbury. And we waited, but the doors stayed shut. He knocked again, and when asked who was there, said, William, Bishop of the Protestant Episcopal Church of the United States, following the line of Samuel Seabury. Again, we waited, and the doors remained closed. He knocked again, and when asked who was there, replied, William, Seventh Bishop of the Diocese of California, following in the line of William, Ingraham Kip. Still, the doors stayed closed. He knocked yet again, and when asked who was there, he said, William, a child of God. And the great bronze doors swung open. Each of us is first and foremost a child of God, and in that sense, we're all on the same team, and our work is for God alone. Who baptized us does not matter, for we were all baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Remembering our true identity is especially helpful during this interim time when past and present leadership must fade, because the true leader of this church is always Jesus Christ. Our Gospel lesson continues Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He begins with four statements that repeat, you have heard it said, and then goes into four new teachings that lead his listeners to deeper relationships and greater self-knowledge. For example, he says, you've heard it said in ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you're angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment, and if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus is leading us to the root of our urge toward murder, our hurt and anger, and our desire to insult, denigrate, and dehumanize the source of our pain. He goes on, so when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go, First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come back and offer your gift. Jesus wants us to interact with the person so they are no longer the inhuman object of our rage, but another human being just like us. He goes on to explore past teachings on adultery, divorce, and the taking of oaths, and each time leads us to explore in depth our relationships with others and with ourselves. He urges us to broaden our understanding, to deeply explore and purify our motives, to avoid casuistic insincerity, 
and to seek to live more faithful lives. Last week, I heard a compelling story on the BBC that related to our lessons. It was the story of a family of a British journalist who was captured by ISIS, and particularly a story about his brother. Shortly after the journalist was captured, ISIS began the televised beheading of prisoners. The family quickly began to lose hope. Then the day arrived when the journalist's brother received the news they had dreaded. The journalist had been publicly decapitated. It fell to the brother to tell his parents and larger family. He said telling his mother was the hardest thing he ever did. Afterwards, he was so angry, he wanted to kill somebody. But he knew he did not want to kill a religion or a nationality. He wanted to kill those who killed his brother. But he began to think more deeply about his anger and realized that his response was what the killers wanted. And he couldn't continue to hate. He said hating was not the way he and his brother had been raised. So he issued a statement to the press on behalf of the family, begging that people not blame Islam or Islamic countries for the murder. To his surprise, he began to be invited to speak at churches and mosques. Over and over, he told his story, not hiding his emotion and his tears. Soon, he was invited abroad, usually to speak at mosques. He told, them, he told that Muslims often came to him after he spoke and apologized. He told them there was no need to apologize. It was not their fault. And he said how once an old man in a mosque tried to stoop to kiss his feet. The elderly Muslim was having trouble kneeling, and the speaker, who used a cane, tried to lift him up, but lost his balance, and they both fell on the floor and ended up sitting, crying together, and then laughing. Jesus says to be reconciled with our brother or sister. The Deuteronomist tells us to choose life. If that isn't life in its fullness, then I don't know what is. Amen.